blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. You are destroying the Constitution of the United States. May God have mercy on your souls. Good day. Yes. We could be saved if we just elected the right white man to power. That's creepy, but that's in a different category of creepy. Zitzu, zitzu, zitzu. Gary Geigers. Of course he introduced zoning laws. Okay. You know what? Don't. Yeah. The less I have to do with that game, the better. Here's my favorite part of the defense. Clodius was probably fucking his sister. Jughead, not Jarhead. I have nothing against Marines. I'm going to make okay. that very clear. I'd be really interested to find out what fucking truth that woman was trying to get at. And like with most episodes, I can bring it back to wrestling. Oh. Right, well, he's got other people who work for him who also do things, and, and they can okay. mutate okay. Uh, okay. human size into smaller worlds, after all. Fuck you. I still don't give a shit about getting fake property in a fantasy game. History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a uh, world history teacher with a side of English, uh, in this case remedial reading, up here in Northern California, uh, doing all of that uh, over the interwebs. Uh, and um, I have just recently actually uh, gotten back into painting uh assembling and painting warhammer 40k figures uh the new ninth edition of the game has come out i'm very excited about it um and yeah i i now actually kind of feel like with with the direction hopefully knockwood things are going uh in the world uh i can i can feel comfortable uh going into a um uh, uh religio fascist uh, uh fantasy world uh, to relieve my stress without feeling guilty about doing it because the actual world is uh, turning into a religio-fascist state. So that's where I am right now. Who are you, sir? Uh, well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher uh, up here in Northern California uh, and uh, no sides of anything. Um, and I, in my spare time, yell at school boards. <laughs> that seems to be because there's a lot of that that needs doing right now and and have board will travel apparently because i spent my entire day yesterday either in a meeting or teaching or in a meeting a union meeting or at a school board shaming people so it, it's 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 been fun so i don't i don't paint so much as i, I yell at school boards so well you 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 paint pictures with words i do you paint do. word pictures yeah you so. paint you paint word pictures full of many 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 shades of furious red yeah rage haiku i think is <laughs> <laughs> oh i kind of now want to make rage haiku like i want to make that yeah kind of kind of do uh Fuck you. Goddamn fuck you. son of fuck a bitch. Yeah. You. Motherfucker. <laughs> the fucking thing still yeah, doesn't I, work. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should have bought another. <laughs> yeah. So uh, So speaking of fascist, uh, we were talking about Batman. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, so... <laughs> wow. Just going gonna to go right, in, go go right into the, the paint. paint. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, we we now have been talking about Batman for I I don't even know anymore how many episodes seven seven so know, far seven okay yeah all right so um but yeah we we had gotten to the point where we had 
uh, we'd gotten to the point of analyzing the 89 mm-hmm. Batman film, yes. Keaton 1. Yes. Um, and now we're in the Michael Keaton 2. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah. 92 Batman. Um, yeah. What yeah. were you going to say? Okay. Well, no, uh, pick up, keep, keep going. I'll, I'll, <laughs> the, the thought got lonely and left. So ah. when it, when it shows back up, I'll, I'll jump in with it. All right. Oh, that's what it was. Sorry. It, it showed back up. Um, if y'all could have I seen the screen, also... I was leaning in about to start and he's like, Oh, the thought I was like, okay. Oh, back wait, off. There yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, I think while we're talking about it being the Keaton Batman mm-hmm. and I know we, we talked a little bit about it. Um, last time as well, but I, I kind of want to. I want to pick back up with it for a minute. Sure. Both of these movies are also Tim Burton films. Yes. And like this is kind of where Tim Burton became Tim Burton. Uh, I would say this is where the studios recognized him as a huge draw. But I would say that Tim Burton became Tim Burton during Beetlejuice. Okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, but they recognized okay. him as a huge draw at this point. Yes. Yeah. And well, and I think I think his 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 artistic sensibility mm-hmm. was definitely on display in in Beetlejuice, definitely. But I think in Batman, you know, there's there's the trope originator and then there's the trope codifier. You know, Oh, definitely. And, and, it was it was a proven and, and I think, quantity I then. Think, yeah, and I, and I think I think Batman is really where it was. No, no. Uh, this this is uh, this is this is his aesthetic, and mm-hmm. like it became recognized as a quantity. Yes, I would definitely. Like, agree. It's like, kind of like when Tom it, Hanks, like everybody's like, "Oh my God, Tom Hanks is Philadelphia." Was the movie he came out in? I'm like, no, he came out really big in uh, League of Their Own showing a lot of range and that's what opened yeah. the door for that i think you're right for, uh, yeah. beetlejuice showed he had a style that he was doing and then yeah. through batman it was oh that is his style okay that's not yeah. just yeah that's tied that's to like that script. That's, yeah yeah that, that's that's not that was that movie this this yeah. is no no this is his this is his aesthetic yes yes you know um and and i think I think it's really interesting to see visually his his take on the visuals of Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, because because we talked a little bit about about the costume in that film being yes. as powerful and as and as immediately iconic and as much of a departure as it was. Yeah, but it's it's not just the Batman costume; it's the whole thing, the lighting. It's the lighting and the angles and. You know, and and I know I, as I'm talking about it now, I remember it got mentioned that you know uh, Wayne Manor mm-hmm. in in those films is this uh, heroic scale edifice. Yes, that that you know the entire place mm-hmm. is entirely out of scale with with human habitation. Yeah, that's a really good way to put and, it. Yeah, and it's and it's it's um, uh, kind of kind of like the the. Uh, Castle of Cousy in France, and I'm probably mispronouncing the French name. Um, but if, if you read A Distant Mirror, it focuses on the noble family that, that ruled that particular manor mm-hmm. as a as a window into the 14th century. And and one of the things that gets mentioned is that when Ile de Cousy or or uh, Chateau de Cousy mm-hmm. was built, 
it was built on a heroic scale. Like it was intentionally, no, no, sure. all of the stairs here. And, and it's not just the old trick about, you know, we've got a half step here to trip attackers up. Right. It was no, no. Everything in the place was built at a, at grander a giant scale. kind like, of scale. Yeah. A look grander what we scale. Do. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Wayne Manor comes across in that way and, and the lighting and all of the coloration and, and everything, it goes from, really super saturated on certain colors to mm-hmm. flat and unsaturated in other parts of the spectrum. So real and, quick, I want to, I just yeah. want to come back to, uh, this, uh, Ile de Cousy. Um, yeah, they or were, de or Chateau de Cousy. Um, yeah, it, it's a French castle essentially. Yes. Um, and if I recall correctly, the family that built it had previously been, Oh geez, uh, they came up from obscurity because they were executioners, um, and they okay. would uh, they worked specifically for the Frankish kings, and uh, okay. so yeah, they were the punishers, and that's why they built their Frank castle. Nicely done. Thank you. Nicely done. We're not even ten minutes in. Nope. At this point. Nope. Well, well done. Thank you. Well done. So saturated colors. Go on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you know there there are certain parts of the spectrum that are that are like hyper saturated, and and part of this is in my memory. Okay. So I, I could be I could be partially wrong about this, but colder shades, mm-hmm. like throughout the entire film, colder shades are very heavily saturated and any kind of warm yellow, any kind of, uh, you know, warm, warm red, mm-hmm. like if it's a hellish red, yeah. Okay. We're going to saturate that one, but, but you know, warm, warm crimson kind of tones, right. We don't see getting that same kind of, kind of, kind of effect. Mm-hmm. And so we wind up having this very, very skewed. It's like taking a comic book and I'm going to fuck with the color shift. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, just, just that aesthetic, well, you know, it was, was something that subconsciously, mm-hmm. you know, really, really hyper or, or hyper, hyper inflated is the word that comes to mind, but, but mm-hmm. really emphasized the, the comic book roots of the material. Yeah, well, if you remember, I talked about the cinematography, and uh, yeah. the whole point was to show how tormented Bruce Wayne himself was. And that was yes. kind of the first real time that you see Bruce Wayne as the central character of a Batman movie. And that yeah. was, in many ways, Tim Burton's biggest uh, contribution to it. Yes, you had the send-up of Metropolis, but much worse. You know, I think I said it looked yeah. like Picasso fucked German Expressionism. Um, I don't remember whether or not you did say that, but yeah. I think that's fitting. Um, yes. But, like, they chose it to be deliberately ugly and in in torment with itself. Like, And yeah. so, yeah, when you do a color shift like that, it's it's definitely there to make people feel a little bit off. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely right. And, and that continues, actually, with the 92 one, um, which I dubbed the other Burton one and the other Keaton one. <laughs> It's Batman you know, Returns. Sadly, sadly, it is kind of an also ran mm-hmm. by comparison. Well, it's because it's the second one, you know. So it's there's, I mean, you can't all be Godfather Part Two or Empire Strikes Back. So uh, <laughs> Bill Finger, yeah, okay. Bill Finger still didn't get any credit. 
Um, nope. Despite the fact that the two characters in this one are specifically his creation, the two villains. Um, now, the main idea behind this one isn't so much a focus on one villain or even the villain itself or on Bruce Wayne. It's it's really the it's the focus is now on the mundane villain. So it kind of gets back to what you talked about when we talked about the 30s and 40s, where it's not super villains. It's mundane villains. It's gangsters. Yeah, it's, mob, it's mobsters, yeah. mobsters, corrupt politicians, bad yeah. cops. And in this yeah. case, it's uh, it's Max Shrek, which is a total send up of the guy who played Count Orloff, uh, who's uh, who's from uh, Nosferatu. Uh, and so you've got more German expressionism in there. Um, but his name is Max Shrek. Yeah. Fuck me! How did I never spot that before? God well, damn it! Oh, it gets better. Like Max Shrek played, is played by the way, played by the way by uh, I had uh, Christopher Walken. There you go. In in one of his one of his most wonderfully understatedly batshit roles. Yes, like it's right like up there ever... with Zorn. You know, from yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It really is. So uh, yeah, so they're they're taking the name Max Shrek from Count Orloff. Um, and he's actually the only villain who has a plan. Everybody else is kind of activated. He's kind of behind the scenes. So he's even manipulating or trying to manipulate. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the host becomes the parasite or the parasite becomes yeah. a host. Um, yeah. he's trying he, to manipulate, uh, the, the super villain to his own gain. Um, he's a robber baron from the 1800s basically. And he dresses, like they took pictures of JP Morgan and said make him look like that. I can totally believe that. And he, he I I I would I would pull away from Robert Baron and I would say he is a gilded age yes industrialist. Yes. And and he is essentially a German expressionistic um, uh combination with um political cartoons of people taking graft. Like that's, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, him. Straight out of a Nast cartoon. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, here, Tammany Hall. Yeah. yeah. So here's some fun facts. Michelle Pfeiffer was not the original Catwoman. The original Catwoman was Annette Benning. What? <laughs> yeah, because Annette Benning uh, was in Grifters, and and Tim Burton was like, I gotta have her in here. Um, but she got okay. pregnant. So she dropped out. Oh, mm-hmm. that would have been an entirely different fucking movie. Yes, uh, that would have been like. Mm-hmm. And and you know and and the funny thing is this is one of those cases where, you know, this person wasn't supposed to play this role, but like, they were supposed to play imagine, this role. Yeah, you can't imagine anybody else uh-huh. doing it. So Pfeiffer was kind of the second choice. She beat out a bunch of other women for the role, and she was given a percentage at the box office, which I thought was pretty cool. No shit, really? Yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson kicked that door open, man. Okay, who, okay, okay. Yeah. Who was it, what actress was it who made a huge big deal about I need to be Catwoman? I I am, like, went on on a couple of talk shows in in a Catwoman getup. Uh, You mean at that time? Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't remember oh, anything like shit, that. Because I remember. Hold on a sec. Here. I would love it if it was now, share. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> that that would have been. Well, while you're trying to amazing. while you're trying to st- yeah, stretch yeah, your yeah. mind to figure that out, guess who played yeah. Oswald Cobblepot's dad? 
Oh, wasn't it Burton himself? No, no it was Pee Wee Herman. Yes, nice job. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I would not have guessed that if you would like put a gun to my head and like kicked me. Oh so, no, because I because yeah. I remember because I remember my my you know best friend and I uh-huh. uh, seeing the movie in in the theater. Mm-hmm. We were both like, wait, no, <laughs> that can't. And then at the end of the film, we were like, oh my god, oh my god it's yeah. actually him. Yeah, that's yeah. So okay, so this time Bruce Wayne is actually trying to pull someone else out of the darkness. Which is a different, okay. it's, it's you know, you basically are mirroring what happened with Vicky Vale trying to pull him out of the darkness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he's really trying to pull himself and Catwoman out of the darkness. Um, but first, uh, uh, I want to talk about Shrek a bit, too. Um, okay, yeah. Batman, um, in many ways, is trying to pull him out of the darkness, but for a very different reason. He's not trying to redeem Shrek. He is trying to expose him and the Penguin as false idols. So there's your justice side of Batman. There's your Dark Avenger. Okay. Okay. Second, it is a redeeming story because he is trying to save uh, uh, K- Selena Kyle. I was going to say Katina Sile, but that doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, although Marvel should come up with a character negative, named Katina negative. Sile. They should. Yeah. And, and that's that's actually the negative universe. Yes. yes. Selena Kyle. Yeah. Or, or they could do Selena Sile. Like Slade Wilson and Wade there Wilson. There you go. I like that. Yeah. So, do you know who uh, was going out campaigning for the the battle? No, no, I'm having I'm having trouble finding it. Somebody's right. somebody's going to have to tell us because um, okay. I, I remember it was it was somebody who had a reputation for being kind of nuts. Okay. And the whole campaign did not help that. Was it Madonna? <laughs> No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, no. It was. It was, was it Drew Barrymore? <laughs> I'm going through no. people who are nuts. Okay. No, no. Okay. No. Okay. It's you know I'm gonna after we finish recording tonight I'm gonna go to bed and I'm gonna sit bolt upright at like three in the morning and go oh my god it was you know it's what it's because it's like right sure, there sure right there in like floating on the edge of the speech center of my frontal cortex yeah. and I just can't get it to come out yeah so anyway keep going okay so uh, Bruce Wayne is a redeemer so the first one is Batman the Avenger or I'm sorry this movie is two parts one part Batman the Avenger. Two part or part uh, the other part, uh, Bruce Wayne the Redeemer. He even stops okay. Batmaning in order to try to save her, literally tearing his mask off. Um, Bruce okay. Wayne yeah. is fully engaging himself in order to save Selena Kyle from her double life, and it's a nice sequel arc actually to a man who couldn't engage last time unless he was behind the mask. So he's growing through this one, and that's one of the reasons I really like this one because it. It, it pays off a lot of the damage that he came with he is now yeah. able to grow through yeah and and it's really i don't think it's it's another case of keaton not getting enough credit for the acting right he did in right. these movies because the the i i do i do remember you know clips you know in my uh-huh. memory I, there there are bits out of the film and i remember you know his his interactions with Catwoman, mm-hmm. Selena Kyle, you know, and and him managing to bring all of his patter, you mm-hmm. know, all of his all of his comedic, you know, all that that same kind of sense of timing, and right. the same energy, and and bring it in a way that wasn't jokey. Yes, like you know, he because, was suffering because, from disconnect as well. Yeah, but he was further along, and he was empathizing for her. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and there were, there were, there were so many moments that were like genuinely funny, mm-hmm. but, but never played for a joke. Yeah. He brought a coaxing vulnerability as he was trying to pull Selena Kyle out of Catwoman. Yeah. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and again, like nobody, everybody looks at it as a three color comic book movie and they, and mm-hmm. <sighs> they're right. Are, but also ghetto. Yeah. Yeah. But like, so yeah, so, there, there's Bruce Wayne trying to make the world safe for Selena Kyle to come back. Um, and in many boy, ways, how fucked up is that? Man? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. He's much more fully realized in this film. Uh, and what's fun is that he and she are realizing this at the Christmas masquerade ball where Kyle and Wayne are the only two people for once not wearing masks. I'm going to have to rewatch this fucking movie. Yeah. Cause that's the implications so, so are Jorellian in their, in their uh, yeah, who, complexity. Who, who, who gets the screenwriter credit on this one? Uh, Ooh, good question. I don't recall. That's, because that yes. is genius. Well, and that might not have been in the writing. That might have actually just been in the directing. Like I want yeah. them without masks. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's it's really quite something when you think about it, because at that point, um, think about this. Uh could it be that Wayne has become the disguise and that Kyle is the disguise because they're wearing their disguises to the masquerade ball? And then Batman and Catwoman are actually their more dominant personalities that they're now doing a Clark Kent version on. She even says this once they realize who each other are, are, she says, I guess I'm tired of wearing masks. Like he realizes she's Catwoman and she realizes he's Batman. And she says, I guess I'm tired of wearing masks where in fact she is not wearing a mask. And, and yet her real identity is now Catwoman, who is a masked character. And so she's disguised as Selena Kyle in broad daylight. Uh, yeah, it's yes. Yeah, Ed's head is shaking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, screenplay was Daniel Waters. Um, I don't know okay. from him, but uh, kudos. Right. Pour one out for Daniel Waters tonight, I tell you. You know, well, I will yeah. pour one out. But your, your dad, John Waters, is really, really fun. So <laughs> I'll drink in his honor. There we'll, you go. We'll there you go. So, yeah. So there's just that bit about I guess I'm tired of wearing masks. And it's it's what I really liked is that in the early 1990s, masks are an interesting entrance into the zeitgeist. If you think about other movies that came out or or miniseries, um, Phantom of the Opera came out in 1990 as a miniseries. Silence of the Lambs, speaking of masks. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Point, right. point Break. Oh, shit. Star okay. Trek Six. The Assassin Had a Mask. It's about oh. the future, right? Yeah, okay. All, All right. of their major right. plot points involve some sort of mask to hide their true identity. And a number of documentaries came out uh, popularizing the use of Native American people's masks, too, including something called The Spirit of the Mask. Um, Star Trek would come out with an episode in 1994 titled Masks, and it was really confusing. Um, Jim Carrey's movie, The Mask, debuted in 94. Like, the early 90s were all about goddamn masks. And it was a therapeutic technique, by the way, in talkie therapy. I know, having been thrown into it, 
you know, you had to draw your mask. It's like, Jesus Christ. Um, when I was in drama class in high school, we made masks. Moomenschauntz was shown to us. Oh, um, just yeah, so okay, much okay. masky stuff in the 90s. Okay, so uh-huh. why? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Because, I mean, you know, we can, there's, we can, we can spitball about shit. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I mean, that's what we do on this podcast. Let's be yes. real. But, like, so, so if we're talking about the early 90s, mm-hmm. we're talking about the end, basically the ending of the Reagan era. Yes. Cause, cause that's the end of Bush ones. Well, uh, so uh, you've, you've you got know, the end of the term. You've got the end of the cold two. war. You've got the falling okay. and the crumbling of the Soviet union and okay. the, uh, well, I'm going in reverse order. You've got the crumbling of the Berlin wall, the Baltic yeah. States, Baltic yeah. or Balkan. Yeah. Baltic States. Um, and the you Soviet Baltic union. Balkan. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the Baltic though. Uh, Lithuania, okay. Estonia, and Latvia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Break, breakaway republics. Right. Um, so you've got that. So they are no longer underneath that brand. And I'm wondering if there's a a need to cover up. Um, and also, then if America has won, which we spoiler alert, they didn't because we just had four years of proof. Um, but uh, but if America has won, uh, then what can they do next? What, what happens to all those anxieties? And so now you kind of have to cover up those anxieties with something else. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, okay. I am spitballing. Well, okay. Here. Let me, let me, let me, let me spitball in a different sure. direction. Sure, sure. We see revelation of a lot of things. So in, so by 92, we knew that the Reagan administration and the Bush administration had been funneling money to all kinds of nasty places in the name of the Cold War. Yes. Uh, by 92 and later, um, the Soviet Union had fallen apart, and we now saw really mm-hmm. what had been going on in the Soviet states, which was basically we spent them into oblivion and they couldn't keep up with us anymore. And in the process of getting there, they had turned their own economy into, you know, a sick man. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, what what we had been what we had been led to believe during our childhood was this terrifying monolithic threat. Turns out, not really to have been one at all. Right. And so, you know, on on these, you know, uh, again, pattern on the wallpaper kind of kind of ways, we see the revelation of identities and we saw masks kind of being pulled away we see also a and bunch so of we dictatorships aware. oh go on go on so 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 it just means that we were aware suddenly mm-hmm. that there had been masks mm-hmm. that could be we also we see been previously aware. we see dictatorships falling too in south america pinochet falls in 90 brazil's brazil's military uh dictatorship had fallen in 85 i want to say um, I don't remember Argentina off the top of my head. Um, no, but, don't cry over it. Ah, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering. Truth is, they never left. You know, we, we're seeing that to be proven, though. So, yeah, because yeah. uh, there was the coup in '76, and I'm just trying to think of how long they lasted. I think. Oh no, no, they they what went the... they went back to uh, they they kicked out their dictatorship quick. They stopped in '83. Yeah, so. and 
Okay, wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. Kicked out their dictator. You're talking about Argentina? Yes. Kicked out the dictator in 83. Mm-hmm. Falklands was 82. Two? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Those no. poor penguins. No, it had to be it had to be later than that because I was in Hawaii during Falklands. Oh, okay. So Falklands was eighty three. Okay. But anyway. So yeah, anyway, uh, so some and, and, some dictatorship and, and actually losing losing the Falklands was the last gasp I think of that regime. So, yes. Yes. So in any event, so yeah, I mean, I I think I think we could go either way on that or both ways mm-hmm. for that matter. Yeah. Because, um, you know, stuff happening in the sub in the mass subconscious yes. doesn't necessarily have to be entirely consistently logical in one direction at a time. Right. And I would point out that both of these characters had a mask of similar design. Covered everything except for their face or except for their mouths. This is true. Which I will get to that when I get to the Nolan Batmans, because there's a very important thing there. But okay. I, I do want to put a pin in that. So okay, right. uh, that that is tabled. Yes, we'll keep track of that. Okay. So the villains that he's fighting this time are less about chaos and violence and more about power and the exploitation of our democratic processes. So okay. with Joker, okay. it was chaos. Every time Joker shows up, it's he's fighting chaos. He's bringing order. Um, well, when it's yeah. when it's yeah. Penguin, he's fighting corruption because he's fighting the credulity of Gotham for Gotham's own good. Not just fighting against Gotham's criminal element, but fighting against their sheepishness. Um, because again, uh, who is uh, who is running for mayor? Cobblepot, right? Yeah. Okay. And he's got his own little design on that. You know, if he runs for mayor, yeah. then he can look up, you know, and steal and and uh, reverse Moses things. Um, he starts <laughs> off. By the way, he starts off in a river. Uh, and now yeah. he wants to come back yeah. and kill everybody's firstborn. Like it's pretty goddamn oh, yeah. clear. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, and who's backing him the whole way is the rich industrialist. Yeah. Now again, okay. that is also I would say a bit of a send up of 1992 politics. A little bit. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Because this would have been written in '91. So, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of pointing yeah. out, hey, Lee Iacocca was there on the top of the White House a while back, <laughs> you know, helping him destroy the solar panels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I watched the RoboCop the other day. I don't remember oh, why really? I decided to. Yes. And Paul. The original. We're, yeah. We're going to have to do a whole episode oh, on Paul Verhoeven's idea fuck, of satire. Yeah. Because, but uh, so Cause, just because he doesn't, he doesn't do it very well. Well, he's not subtle, and the problem is we're we're so base as a culture that we like it. And and I will tell you this story: my father and I, so father, not dad, father, bio father. Um, okay. I I was made to visit him when I went to visit my grandparents. Um, okay. And so I spent an evening with him, and we rented RoboCop. And he was on the the edge of his seat, just screaming, "Go Robo, go Robo!" And it's like, even then, it seemed a little off to me. But watching it now, I'm like, "Oh wow, this violence is supposed to be." It's it's kind of the Warhammer 40k thing, you know. This violence is yeah. supposed to be over the it's top and to ridiculous. Be, yeah, grievously over the top. And you're over here cheering it, dude. Like it's supposed to be this way. Like, damn. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know. Yeah. So anyway, he's uh, so back to this. Um, yeah. So he is Batman is localizing his fight on rescue 
not vengeance. Whereas in the first one, he's re- he's centered it on vengeance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, payback in a big way. Now, Bruce Wayne is still tortured by his double life, and he's jumping into a literal Iron Maiden to get down to the Batcave now. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, this this movie is symbolism 101. Like, if this movie there's, is not shown in film classes, mm. but he's also managed to integrate both parts of himself much more fully, and he's able to actually offer intimacy and peace to a person and not just react to their attraction to him. Here's here's what, what just occurred to me hearing you talking about it. Uh-huh. So, Batman is by one definition, the most actualized motherfucker in the world. In okay. this movie, yes. Well, 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 well hold, hold on, yeah. hold on. Okay, in, okay. In, any, in any interpretation of the character... Oh, I see what you mean, yes. He yes. is He is hyper-competent. He, you know, if he needed to learn it, he went out and he learned it. He figured it out. You know, master of at least two or three forms of martial arts. Right. Best to greatest detective in the world. Forensic scientist, like, you name it, he, he figured it out. Yes, um, and, and so on that level, he's immensely like, like hyper, hyper actualized. But in the first, uh, in, in the first Keaton movie, we see that he's like mechanically actualized, mm-hmm. but emotionally he's a cripple. Yes. And in this film, we actually see him becoming truly emotionally, uh, actualized yes. along with all of his wonderful toys um, <laughs> yeah you know and and yeah shit i'm gonna need to go back and watch that movie mm-hmm. because yeah i think taking them Just, as a pair is a really good idea because of the arc that that burton and keaton draw together on this character yeah, yeah. yeah no you make a compelling case for that definitely yeah so he is in this one again fighting against he's, he's fighting to rescue someone's soul and that someone is gotham he's saving them from and, themselves and, and yes the same time, also selena kyle. selena kyle um whereas in the previous one he's fighting to yes yes and he's yeah. fighting and it's, i think it's micro macro too um oh yeah because yeah. ultimately it's it's micro micro macro because he is fighting to save his soul in so doing, he's fighting to save Selena's soul, and in so doing, he's fighting to save Gotham's soul. He needs to save all three from themselves. Man, that's a lot of shit to get done. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yes, he's tortured. He jumps into an Iron Maiden, um, and like I said, he... Uh, <laughs> I had completely forgotten it. Yeah, me too. Me too, and as I was and doing the research, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, so, in the first Keaton Burton movie... He was the broken one, right? And he was fighting a broken person who, whose main approach was nihilism. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and it, so here's where it gets, you know, again, twisted around a couple different times. Batman is fighting the Joker who Batman shattered. Um, and the Joker, in turn, had previously shattered Bruce Wayne's life. And it okay. was that nihilism and then the response to nihilism and then the conflict and then that response. And then it, it's just this nihilistic clusterfuck circle jerk. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, you, you know, you put you point that out. 
and there's a part of me that wonders what would have happened if uh, if we had seen uh, and now I'm forgetting his name, but the director of Conan the Barbarian. Oh, John Milius. John Milius. If we'd seen John Milius work work the same story, there would have been some you know oh, Thulsa yeah. Doom moment. You know, yes. I made you. Yes. Well, there was you know. that moment. He said that. He <laughs> says, you know, oh, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, you know, I made you. He's like, you made me. I made you. You know, and you know, or no, no, you made me. He said, "You idiot, you made me," and he's like, yeah. "I made you, you made me." And he's like, and then he's like, "Well, if you're gonna, you know," and then he tries to sucker punch him and hits the armor and all that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but okay, so in the first one, it's a shattered man. He's a, a broken man fighting a shattered man who had previously broken his life, okay. and whose life he had previously broken as well. Like, there's a yeah. every both of them like double dipping. Yeah. Oh, in the yeah. second one. Bruce Wayne is again Bruce Wayne, not not Batman, but Bruce Wayne is the most together of the heroes and the villains, and he's fighting one of them on their own behalf, and he's fighting two of them on behalf of the people of Gotham. Okay, so it's a yeah. hell of an arc. Like, so it's no longer about depression; it's about redemption and rescue, recovery. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. So yeah. that's the 92 one. Um, and again, psychotherapy Fuck. was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So then now, and that is going to dovetail nicely into the 1995 one, Batman Forever. This is called the really 1990s one. <laughs> Batman Extreme. Yes. The Val Kilmer one. The Joel yep. Schumacher one. And this one is like, you know what? You know what worked really well? Camp. We're going to return to camp in a big way because Two-Face and Riddler are just chewing through the scenery in okay. neon right. colors and purples and greens because it's oh. the 90s. And, and and let's talk about color saturation. Oh, yeah. Like, Jesus. So, okay, I need to, I need to vent here okay. for a second. Sure, sure. <sighs> All right, so you're going to make a Batman movie, right? Uh-huh. And you decide that one of the villains you're going to do is is Harvey Dent, Two-Face. Right? Yes, yes. Classic, classic character. Has a great villain arc. You know, I mean, yeah, just an amazing character. And then, and then you cast Tommy Lee Jones to be Two-Face, to, be, to play Harvey Dent, both sides of Harvey Dent. Yes. Okay. Well, Except it's not right. Harvey Dent. At this point, it's it's the absolute Two Face. There's no yeah, yeah, okay. origin story okay. or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like they have two all... lines on it, and that's it. He is yeah, a, yeah. a he is comic book Two-Face. villain. Yeah. Okay. So so but but hear me out here. So so you decide you're going to cast Tommy Lee Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Who is an amazing actor. Yes. And and if you had just had him, you could have had. No shit, the most amazing portrayal of Two Face. Mm-hmm. Like, like I have absolutely no doubt in my mind at all yeah. that left to his own devices, Tommy Lee Jones could have owned that role the way Nicholson owned the Joker. I agree. So, all right, so far so good. Then you decide, okay, well, we're not just going to have one villain because that's not enough. We got to have more than one villain. So we're gonna we're gonna go with Edward Nigma. Well, hang on. The previous movie had two villains. So no, you, I know. Yeah, you've got that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we got. We, so we to got, go back we, to we one following... is yeah. 
Yeah, you've yeah. got a trajectory. So, so we got to we we got to at least go with two villains because yep. we can't go down to one because that's like lowering the stakes, even though it didn't have to be. But whatever. From from a production angle, it it just looks like you are. So uh-huh. okay, so we got to have two villains. Mm-hmm. So who are we going to use as the other villain? Okay, well we've got you know the the we're gonna we're gonna go with the classic. We're gonna go with the Riddler. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Who are you gonna cast as the Riddler? It is ninety five. I know, I know, I understand. Yeah. Jim Carrey. Okay, so here's the deal. By himself mm-hmm. playing the Riddler, Jim Carrey could have been absolutely balls to the wall, fucking amazing. Like, yeah. like, like crazy our version bad. of Frank Gorshin. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, in a mm-hmm. huge way. Yeah, could have been amazing. Here's the deal: you put him next to Tommy Lee Jones. And you have Schumacher direct the fucking thing, uh-huh. and everything winds up being no, no bigger. Yeah. And then you have now pushed, uh, uh, and I'm not even I'm not even going to start with the one that makes me angriest. I'm going to go with the other one. You've now pushed Jim Carrey into uh, uh, pet detective territory. Yeah. Because bigger means okay, well that's the direction I'm going to go, and of course he's comfortable doing that, and he can pull that shtick. Yeah. But you're underutilizing him. Yeah, because you're only asking for him to crash the cymbals when in fact he can yeah. play amazing drums. Yeah. And yeah. and and, uh, you know you're 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 expecting him to only do things in the loudest register possible, mm-hmm. which by itself is a tragic underutilization of of a guy who turns out to be a really amazingly empathetic actor. Yeah. And then, and then, and this is the part that I'm still bitter about years later. All right. Put him literally on the screen at the same time as Tommy Lee Jones, who is not that kind of actor, mm-hmm. and force Tommy Lee Jones to play everything broad. Mm-hmm. Like, why did you cast Tommy Lee fucking Jones in the first place? The man's whole toolbox is centered on understatement is, is centered on, you know, uh, is he, he isn't Pacino. He doesn't scream. You know what I mean? Right. Well, neither did Pacino until Until, a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you get what I'm saying. Like that, that, that turned into a shtick. He, he kind of self self flanderized himself. Yes. You know, and, but, but like, both of those actors were so completely, in one case, completely underutilized because you told, because Schumacher told Carrie, go big and that's it. Just go big and keep going bigger. And then you force Tommy Lee Jones to be a shouting, scenery chewing, glowering mega villain when like, you could have had such a much better Two Face. Well, I'm gonna if you had. Mm. I'm gonna push back a little bit on the Tommy Lee Jones thing because in '92 he was in Under Siege and he played that villain who was the Roadrunner and he was goofy and crazy. He was like an ex hippie who could fight really well with knives until he saw what's his face. Yeah. And, and in '93 go... he was a badass in The Fugitive, which is what you're talking about. The you know I don't care is just an iconic line and it's so understated. But then he played a mad bomber in Blown Away in 93 as well. An Irish mad bomber. Um, yeah. Oh, your, your wife and daughter are home. And he's kind of crazy. And then in 94, he was in Natural Born Killers. And he was the uh, the warden. 
and whose hair looked like a goddamn Studebaker, and he had a pencil-thin mustache, and he was a character, a caricature of of all that shit. He was doing those kinds of roles leading into 95. He absolutely was. So I could see casting him in that role, in in that effort at that role. That makes sense to me. You shouldn't okay. have done that character as that way, maybe. But they're going camp. Well, okay. One, they mm-hmm. shouldn't have taken that character in that direction. Number two, I'm going to argue mm-hmm. that as much as he may have enjoyed doing Under Siege, mm-hmm. I saw that shit opening weekend in the theater. <laughs> I'm sorry, you just lost all credibility. <laughs> well, I I went I went with a bunch of friends who were like, dude, it's a Seagal movie, you know. Sure. Two and and the and the title only has two words rather than three. Maybe this one will be good. Point. No. Good point. No. Nope. 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 The only the only part of that movie that's that's worth rewatching is Erica Leniak coming out of the cake. Like that's it. No, like, I would say Gary Busey uh, sitting there going, <laughs> "Do I look like I'm mentally uh, deranged?" You know, in full drag. <laughs> Just because it was oh, definitely okay. foreboding. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I I don't know if it was even foreshadowing. Like, but it was that was that before or after Gary Busey uh, smacked himself on the pavement. I do believe that was before, but I don't recall. Okay. Yeah. Because one wonders. But anyway. Yeah. So anyway, I I have I have very strong opinions about about the the casting and and directorial choices. Well, it's not really about the casting. It's about the directorial choices. You're going to have a lot to chew on here. So. uh, So Two Face and Riddler, like you said, going broadly, just just being the Baxter Stockman little droids chewing through the scenery. Um, the way the Mousers would chase after Shredder. Um, there's also a new guy playing Batman for the first time. Okay, so Keaton yeah. owned that role, and now you've got a new guy playing Batman, and you've introduced Robin as well. Now, Val Kilmer plays Batman. Yes. And I have always had a soft spot in my heart for Val Kilmer. Nicole Kidman plays Dr. Chase Meridian. Hot. Get it? Chase, Chase Meridian. Chase Meridian. She's yeah, pursuing yeah, yeah. balance. Yeah. Oh, and the villain okay. is is Two Face, and and Batman lives a double life. Okay. And now he's got a child to take care of. So some some anvils need to be dropped. We're hard. Here. Yeah. Also, there she is. A, yeah. Also, a character who's created specifically for the movie. So we see this happening. This again. is true. This is true. Now, speaking of balance. Now, I just want to back up a second. It okay. always felt to me like the lighting and the uh, the color choices that they made in that movie specifically were a a, a cinematic version of, um, okay, when I was in high school, uh, Mountain Dew was wonderful, right? And so was Dr. Pepper. And mm-hmm. so was Eggnog. And then we combined Mountain Dew with Eggnog. And then we combine Mountain Dew with Dr. Pepper. And then we combine Mountain Dew with Dr. Pepper and eggnog. And then we had chugging contests to see who could swallow a quart of Dr. Dewnog in the shortest amount of time possible. Because our friend had gotten it to the point where he could swallow a quart of eggnog in four seconds. And that became a game at our rallies at our high school from then on. And so, yeah, so Mountain Dew, like, I get it if it's not your thing, but plenty of people like Mountain Dew. 
Plenty of people oh, like oh, Dr. Yeah. Pepper. Oh, yeah. Plenty of people. Plenty yeah. of people like eggnog. Oh. If you combine them together, their color is gross as shit and they taste mm. terrible. That's exactly what happened to all the colors <laughs> in this movie. This movie is Dr. Dunog. You know what? That's going to have to become code on our on an, on on this podcast going forward. That is Doctor Dunog. That is Doctor Dunog. All right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. That's that's. What, in, anytime I want to use the phrase "a dog's breakfast," instead I'm going to force myself to say Doctor <laughs> Dunog. Because <laughs> dear God Almighty, so, I cannot imagine anything that vomitous like. Right. Oh. Oh, it's gross. It was so bad that when you drank it, you laughed. Like that's how bad it was. <laughs> I shit you not. My best friend at the time, he drank it. Uh, Eli, um, if he ever listens to it, shout out to Eli yeah. for the Dr. Dunog. Um, he drank it and just started laughing. It was that bad. So, oh. but yeah, so the, so, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Oh I. It is getting to be that season of the year. I might actually, I'm 42 now. Let's see. We were doing that when I was like 16. Don't do it. So. Don't. It's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It'll hurt you. Yeah, it probably will. At, at our at our age, I you yeah. don't you do not know. Yeah, but I'm kind of hoping like it'll hurt me in the way that like a bad samosa will hurt me. Like I'll lose weight that night, you know. Because <laughs> that's what I love about a samosa is like if it's good, it's great, and if it if it's bad, it still tastes great, and I lose weight. Like it's. so art direction (laughs) clearly clearly there was some yes um (laughs) choices were made it was a very 1990s-ification of prior efforts so they took the prior stuff and then they neoned it right there's a lot of purple a lot of green which is very comic books because bad guys are secondary colors yeah, well, yeah. There's but, a fair amount but, of turquoise because it's the yeah. '90s. I'm, I'm going, I'm going with Batman Extreme. Oh yeah, 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 I mean, absolutely. That was, that was, for whatever reason, I, I don't, I, I would really like to know where it was that that whole the extreme aesthetic, <laughs> that that whole that whole extremist. It was, uh, you know, what it was. It yeah. was an outgrowth of the use of neon colors that we saw in the '80s. So it was just the next step, really, because neon for its own sake really came in in the the 80s. And then as you get into the 90s, you start to see different color palettes getting mixed together that, yeah, again, you know, it's it's and they're all coming back now because girls are raiding their mom's closets and moms are I, I have a theory about this. Moms are perpetually much more optimistic about their clothing from their childhood than than dads dads are like no fuck it my ass is a a a fedex truck now like i'm not saving those jeans um whereas moms will be like someday i could get back to you know my my you know prom weight um and so the daughters go through their mom's closets and check stuff out for like homecoming rallies and stuff like that and then you see because every 20 years you see a reintroduction of similar styles and it's because the daughters are raiding their mom's closets and coming back so because look at what's coming in now booty shorts and high rise and they take their own flair now but that's what's coming in and uh i started seeing kids showing up with um overalls again yeah that was a thing 
see, I'm teaching middle school, so yeah, it's a whole yeah. different kind of thing. Because yeah. the deal is, like, I'm, I'm looking at kids who, who I'm comparing to me in the 7th and 8th grade. Yeah, but you're between generations. These kids have parents that are roughly my age or a little okay. younger. Okay. Because I got started late. Um, so, yeah. so well, I got started like very hyper late. late yes. But um, yeah. and you're much older than I. So, fuck you, much. What is this? Three years? <laughs> Screw you. We're still both Gen Xers. Don't be <laughs> adding me about this stuff. So. Uh, Come on. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, so the kids who are uh, coming Is of it age warm now. under the bridge. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you goat. Uh, well done. Yeah. Well done. Well, yeah. I ain't even mad. I yeah. you cheers. were you were a little gruff. You were a little. Yeah, I usually am. <laughs> so anyway, carry yeah. on. All right. girls are rating moms. Sorry, did I hurt your leg? Nah, knee. Okay. Um. Oh, good day, sir. There you go. So, yes, uh, girls are raiding their mom's closets and they're they're yeah. styling them in different ways because now we're starting to see kids showing off their midriffs in the high schools again. Um, they're doing it by tying knots on their shirts. That's the thing. But OK, yeah. And that if you go back to when I was in high school, midriffs were showing because they were stealing their mom's low rise jeans. And so, yeah. You had that aesthetic. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, so, well, actually, they're stealing their mom's high rise jeans and then they were wearing midriff shirts and then the waistlands started getting lower because they were stealing the low rises. And then you had like that that gap increased in the early yeah. 2000s. So, what's going to yeah. suck is in about 10 years, we're going to see the 2000s come back stylistically. Which is cool because I still that. have cargo shorts and I'm looking forward to buying more zip off pants. Um, okay. But... <laughs> okay. I'm gonna um, hold on. Sure. I'm gonna stop you right there. We're we're now both in a phase of life where cargo shorts are eternal. Oh, I've never left that phase. As soon as I found yeah, yeah, that yeah. aesthetic, I'm done. Screw that. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. No. Because and, 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 and it's because I want to carry stuff. Well, yeah. That's it. It's the pockets, and I get made fun of all the time, and I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. who cares? Whatever, yeah. man. Yeah. It's comfortable. Like, no. And and like, you want to send a signal? You're a dad. Yes. And like, I do. I like do want to send that signal. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no clearer way of saying everybody, no, 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 I'm a dad. Yeah. Um, how you doing? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I mean, in, in my case, um, I, I sometimes don't like right now, of course, I'm wearing jeans because it's freezing fucking cold. But, you know. <laughs> When it's when it is shorts weather, um, I I tend to wear a kilt more often because I think I look better in that. Sure. But you know, but yeah, no. This summer it was an awful lot of cargo shorts because oh, yeah. I wouldn't go anywhere to show off the kilt. So right. what the hell? Yeah. So but anyway, the architecture. So you've got a ton yeah. of turquoise. You've got the architecture is way more contemporary and less metropolisy. And I mean metropolis, the movie, not the place that's not Gotham. Um, okay. The costumes included nipples and outsized cod pieces. Robin had an earring because it's the 90s. And there was a deliberate and conscious effort to make the costumes much more MTV aesthetic. A lot of rave scenes uh, aesthetic stuff too. Very, very mid-90s. Rave scene is a lot of black lights, a lot of turquoise, a lot of that. And at this point, Batman movies are getting to be like Bond girls. Which celebrities gonna be in the movie um, matters way more 
than the movie itself. Oh, and let's talk the music for a second. U2 and okay. Seal. How much more 90s can I, you get? I, I had forgotten about U2. Yes. I mean, I can't, I, like, Seal. I Hold mean, me, be, kill me, kiss like me, dude. thrill me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Now, wow. this time, Batman is not fighting his identity. He's got that shit locked down. He is, however, dealing with a young man bent on revenge. So he's counseling a kid through what he went through, and he's fighting the chaos of Two-Face and Riddler, who are obsessed with finding his secret identity, and they eventually succeed in destroying Wayne Manor. Yes. Riddler's device secretly steals people's information from their minds, but it's advertised as projecting TV broadcasts straight into people's minds. Which, if you remember people's like hatred of MTV, it had to do with that. And I just would point out, thoughts being inserted into brains. Okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Because okay. thoughts being inserted into, into brains reminds me of the TV series mm-hmm. from the 80s. So it started in 87. Oh, Hill Street Blues, remember, yeah. Funny, oh, funny, sorry. well played. Now, Cagney do you remember, and Lacey, yeah. Do you remember Blipvert? No. Okay, Max Headroom. Yes. Okay. And they hacked the signal. Yeah. They hacked the signal. Yes. That actually yeah. happened and then that inspired Max Headroom. Yeah. 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 Um and and the 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 MacGuffin in the very opening in the pilot of Max Headroom mm-hmm. was an advertiser who had figured out how to condense an advertisement into like a second and a half to take it to take a 30 second uh, advertisement and turn it into a blipvert. Oh wow. That was that was only a second and a half long and flashed by so fast that the that the advertisement was essentially programmed into your brain subconsciously. Uh, like like um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a subliminal. Subliminal. Well, you want to know what other movie came out at the same time? Huh. Johnny Mnemonic. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Also, also uh, visually, like, way over the top. Yep. Based on a really, really great William Gibson short story. Mm Mm-hmm. And not a really great adaptation, we could have a conversation about how great it is as its own thing, but sure. yeah, similar, similar kind of idea. Again, in that case, mm-hmm. it's, um, I have a, I have a, a wet drive right. in my brain that I can't access. Right. And somebody wants to get a hold of it. But and it's so literally yeah. shit inserted into my brain. Yeah. And in 94 natural born killers had come out where it's talking about the influence of the media on serial killers and the youth. There's a okay. lot of oh, stuff yeah. going oh. on, and well, so and this is also the height—the height of where, you know, social panic about video games, violent video games. Yeah, yeah. So because know, being Mortal thing. Kombat and Street Fighter yeah. and all that. So and then here's the thing: there's thoughts being inserted into people's brains. There's unwelcome intruders, and where do they go? They go to Batman's sanctuary and blow it up. Your home is not safe. It's being invaded. Now, this wow. movie is nothing about Bruce Wayne anymore, except for the ham-fisted way to discuss memory and dreams and shit like that. And, yeah, yeah. and what's interesting is this one is all about 
dreams and suppressed memories, which absolutely makes sense because in 1993, the term false memory syndrome was coined. Which means that for a while, as a result, as a mm-hmm. result of what they had found out, what what psychologists had found out from the aftermath of the satanic panic, yeah, and of more the eighties, yes. So there had been a lot of news and cultural awareness um, raising uh, the idea of suppressed memories, especially in the aftermath, like you said, of satanic panic, but also in the examinations of a lot of large group child abuse and cult accusations that we're finding a lot of those had been based on false memories, which is really unfortunate because plenty of people lost their livelihoods and years of their lives to incarceration. Yeah. Stewart, Florida is just such a place. Uh, Psychologists swarmed the town to help kids who'd recovered memories of satanic child abuse at a Montessori school. The more psychologists and police officers showed up, the more cases came up. And it turns out many of these therapists, in their zeal, in their desire to be part of something, had implanted false memories into hypnotized kids. And studies began as early as 1986 when psychologists started longevity studies in asking people about where they were when the Challenger had exploded. Flashbulb history. People's answers tended to change over time, getting more and more dramatic and more in line with the coherently and accepted popular narrative. And this is starting to happen with these kids. And it led to something called the memory wars where people believed that memories could be repressed and others believed that false memories could be implanted and they were arguing over some very important points. And since this absolutely impacts witness testimony, it's not an agree-to-disagree type of thing. So there are very few documented examples of actual repressed memories. Um, now, I'm, I'm somewhat sensitive to this because I had seen family members go through repressed memory therapy, and this is where you had things like past life regression therapy, and because your memory is so repressed that it goes into a past life and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's really quite something. So um, hardcore woo. Yeah, at, it is. At, at certainly, certainly at the at the edges of it. That's that's heavy duty woo woo. Oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, and I say this as a church going Catholic. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like uh, if I'm pointing to it, going like, uh, dude. Yeah, good point. Wow. Yeah, I would I would agree with you, um, especially in this instance, because um, there's there's just so much damage that came about as a result of this. And this was basically what was in the air at that time. You might remember in 91, there was a movie called Dead Again. With yes. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and his then wife. Yes. Um, Trelawney. Oh, Christ, what's her name? Anna, Emma Thompson? Emma Thompson. Yes. She's phenomenal. Emma Thompson. But, yeah, that She's was... amazing. He, he shouldn't have left her... Well, she can do better. Their their anyway. relationship is not mine, but uh, yeah, they, uh, they are phenomenal actors. But he was in yeah, a movie oh, yeah. that was all about past lives. And so you have yeah. these movies about repressed memories that are really coming to the fore. And that's in here, right? And that's in this movie. This movie is, is tagging on to that. Psychologist Elizabeth Loftus said that there's simply no evidence that people can create amnesia through sheer terror. And that all the examples that were compiled in the 90s could be explained in other ways. And often, she says... They're just false memories. And I went into a huge rabbit hole on that very topic, which was left me kind of sad and wishing I drank. 
Um, but because <laughs> you've got like a four-year-old who is being interviewed by an authority figure and they want to make that authority figure happy. And so the authority figure asks leading questions uh, and they mean yeah. well. And here's the thing. They mean well. They're trying to save these kids, you know, and it just it's the road to yeah. hell is paved with good intentions in, in the yeah. worst kinds of ways. So, yeah. So Batman yeah. is tugging on what is in the zeitgeist, which is exactly what Batman always does. But now it's doing it while braiding it with camp. So you've got camp plus dreams and repressed memories, 90s pop music and lots and lots of purple and green. And all of that gets braided together. <laughs> How could it be anything but a wild success? Uh, yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I I ultimately feel really badly for what this movie did to Val Kilmer's career. Didn't he do Tombstone after this? Was it after? Was, was it no, after I think this? Tombstone came before it. You're right. Yeah, Tombstone was before it. No, well, okay. I, this this didn't sink his career so much as his own behavior on certain movie sets. Like I love Val Kilmer, but okay, he, all right, yeah, yeah. granted, yeah. granted, but this didn't help anything. No, well, <laughs> he, you know, he like, came back for The Saint, and The Saint was really good. The Saint was an amazing movie. Yeah, I, and it I, was I, absolutely I, there to highlight his acting range because he's playing oh, yeah. all these different characters. Oh, chameleon, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he, uh, let's see, he did, yeah, he did Tombstone and True Romance before this. He did Heat after this, but he did The Island of Dr. Moreau and Ghost in the Darkness, which is like, Uh, but he did The Saint and people are like, oh, wow, he's, he's doing stuff. And they did The Prince of Egypt, which they loved that he was the voice of God and Moses. Yeah. And then he kind of did some... Rom-com type stuff, and then, yeah. and and they just basically they found that he wasn't the draw that they'd hoped he would be. Quite honestly, yeah, I loved him in in Alexander. Uh, a lot of people have trouble with that movie, but he played a great Philip the Fourth. Oh, really? Yeah, I I I have to confess, I have not seen Alexander. I see. I liked it. It doesn't hang together been, well, but I liked it. Okay, there's yeah. there's because <laughs> because I looked at it and I went, this is either going to be really awesome or it's going to be a complete shit show yeah it was and everything and and everything i heard from everybody i knew who saw it was like yeah no it's it's no i still liked it because it it captured alexander as being a out of control sot and i liked that so okay yeah all right i might have to give it a shot so that takes us to the 1997 batman batman and robin george clooney ah the one that had Uma Thurman, the only redhead I've ever found attractive. Okay. Okay, that's not true. There's that other gal that I met when I was 15, and and then like the night after we made out, Bart went on strike, proving that redheads should not couple <laughs> in any way. Because also, no, I wasn't 15. I was like, I was 17, because that was the very next day uh, people killed themselves uh, for Hell's Gate, uh, or Heaven's Gate, rather. Um, yeah. So again, proving redheads okay. should not, yeah, couple. Just but, no, just don't do it. But yeah, Uma okay. Thurman, uh, it would be worth Bart going on strike again. Um, <laughs> the, okay, this okay. this movie is right. so bad that there's zero trivia listed on IMDb for it. <laughs> I've never seen that happen. Okay, so so that means it's not only 
really bad. It's really bad in a way that's not even, oh man, it's so bad. It's good. Like, yeah. no, no, you've yeah. got to watch There's this. You got to see, yeah. you got to see, you got to no see trivia. how they fuck this up. Yeah. Wow. And so this time we've got Batman, Robin, Batgirl, Poison Ivy, Bane, and Mr. Freeze. Because if one's a good yeah. idea, six is a great idea. It's a great idea. It's just like yeah. aspirin. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, you know, here's the deal. So, so was this also Schumacher? Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. You, you, t- <laughs> you talk about, um, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Dunog. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would, I would say this, you added my... antifreeze to it because <laughs> we need some green. We need some green. <laughs> look how it glows and sizzles. Look, look how it's, yeah. yeah. And it, and it's got, it's got a tang to it. Um, <laughs> the burning sensation tells you it's working. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, no, what, what, what I was going to say is, uh, one of my drama coaches, mm-hmm in high school who, who is now a veteran drama teacher mm-hmm. on her own. Um, but one of the things that she, she talked about that she complained about in uh, set design from, mm-hmm. from, you know, various, various and sundry other productions. Cause, cause she, she would do this thing where she'd go to other, other schools in, in the district and she would watch their dramatic productions mm-hmm. kind of like a football coach watches you know game footage from from other other schools she would go and watch what other what other drama productions but what other drama departments were doing and one of the things she consistently complained about was this one other head of a drama department at another school just has to get out there and go jacking off on stage mm-hmm you know, and 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 I went and I remember seeing this film mm-hmm. with a group of my friends. Again, on opening night, Again. probably. Uh, no. Oh, this good. one was not opening night. Thank God. You know that's <laughs> but, worse because then you heard reviews and you're like, no, no, I, I still have faith. No, I don't think we. Well, it wasn't opening night, but it was okay. like the next day. It was oh, okay, weekend. okay. But anyway, we we went and saw it, and I remember remembering. And there they are, just jacking off on stage. Yep. And and ever since then, every time I've seen Schumacher's name, that's the only thing I've been able to think about. <laughs> nice. So now this movie is totally <laughs> like a Bond girl because what star, star is going to be Batman is going to make the franchise, right? So it's way yeah. less about Batman the character. It's way less about, oh, here's an interesting take on him. It's way less about tone or anything else. It's full-on 1960s comic mode. Bright colors, uh, as only the 90s can give us. Con- oh, God. Contemporary issues, eco-terrorism, taking down feminism, artificial intelligence, Batman universe equivalent of steroids, status bars on old Macs, merchandising out the wazoo, all oh, of these God. things. It was such a shit show. Oh, God. And a lot of this movie's villains are focusing on using science to enhance or alter physical bodies. Do you remember Dolly the Sheep? Do you remember BCE? Uh, Do you remember how much movement uh, there was toward cloning in the late 90s? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Now, this okay. iteration this iteration suffered from the fact that the franchise had started darkly, and now it was something completely different from its originator. And it came out less than a decade earlier. It it had become 
it had become a cartoon of itself in a bad way. Well, and because Warner Brothers essentially kept developing it so that they could get more toy commercial prizing, merchandising, all that kind of stuff. Merchandising. Yes. Merchandising. With the real money from the movie. Exactly. Well, and that's exactly it. And the flamethrower. Right. How many different outfits can we get him into? And so who cares about coherence and depth? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's absolutely that. At least in G.I. Joe, they'd give you a new character. But this is just, no, Ice Batman, Jungle Batman. You know. Yeah. It, yeah, kind of in the same vein, you know, thinking about the prior film, going going back for a second to talk about uh, Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. You went in in that film, you didn't have, you know, six different bat suits, but you did have right. the really dramatic. I was just looking at the at the Wikipedia page for the film. Mm hmm. And and on the poster, it's really remarkable how how much. The bat suit had obviously changed. Like the yes. burden iteration of the bat suit was this, you know, black armored rubber thing, and the armored quality is still there, but it it, it had become in Batman Forever. It was this metallic blue, like dark blue. The turquoise was all Robin, but right. it was this this it was this metallic dark blue mm-hmm. thing with with uh, what really struck me were the 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 fins i'm gonna the, say flanges that came off his yeah his gauntlets coming off yeah. his gauntlets looking like something out of a a science fiction serial from the 30s looking yes. very very buck rogers very swoopy mm-hmm. and and then going from there into batman and robin yep and even more baroque yeah Baroque. That's a that's that's the best word I can think of for it. This this Rococo, actually not even Baroque, Rococo, kind of aesthetic to mm-hmm. all of that shit was like Gonzo. Like oh yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah, and and because it makes toys look cool. Oh, and you can God do it with cheap plastic. Mighty. Yeah. Oh. So by this point, yeah. the the production had become completely intruded onto. Uh, yeah, and and. And it's the production is overtaking any possibility of a real theme of any kind on any internal level. There is no internal Batman anymore. There is no Bruce Wayne anymore. It's it's just it, this is all a vehicle to get to the next picture or set or the piece. next yeah the next set piece. Ultimately, yeah. Batman has become an empty vessel by this movie to 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 attach to whatever toy accessory you want to. Yeah. And, and yes, there is a thing in there about trust. That is a, a bit of a theme about trust, which could be interesting when you're talking about people who are le- leading double lives together. Um, because there was some stuff about, you know, I, I you know, y- you need to stop reaching your hand down to rescue me. You need to trust me that I can do this myself. Well, yeah, there's there's that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is, there, there are moments. There are micro moments in that film mm-hmm. that that are that are elevated above the dross of the mm-hmm. rest of it. Mm-hmm. But there's nowhere near enough of them to make. There's no coherence the whole to the movie. It's almost like they yeah. forgot to edit those parts out. <laughs> you know, Sadly, I mean, yes. they could have like there was a thing in there about what it takes to be a good mentor, which could have been interesting if you're talking yeah. about Batman and Robin in terms of passing the torch. 
And 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 there's there's a wonderful my like honest to God, no kidding, other than the first time Alicia Silverstone shows up in the in the in the bad girl suit, which I love for entirely different reasons. There's 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 a there's a throwaway line uh-huh. where where Bruce Wayne says, Now I know why Superman works alone. Yes. And and like that one moment is like, okay, tell you what. How about we take that line, which which says so much in so few words, mm-hmm. and 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 we we build on that and we do something with that. Mm-hmm. But no, no. We're, I mean, they could even touch on the window. They could even touch on what makes family because Alfred and Barbara and you know Batman and Robin and all that. No, they there's so much no. that they could have done, but instead they're like, okay, now this lesson was easily learned and it's not really there anymore, so let's go. Um, so let's just keep banking off on screen. Yeah, you know, to make money to churn out more toys. <clears throat> so in many ways, Schumacher made this movie as a return to the '60s campy Batman movie. He did. There were a ton of one-liners. And, and I'm cool with that. I'm okay with... Well, of course I'm cool with one-liners. But um, I'm okay with a director's <laughs> choice to go back to something else. Because yeah. what are you going to do with grit? Um, yeah. There's a lot of low After stakes. Point, you yeah. Can. Yeah. There's a lot of low stakes combat. Uh, there's even a send-up to the holy whatever Batman. Because in the beginning, he said they're climbing up a thing. And he's like, holy rusted metal, metal Batman. And he's like, what? He's like... The metal, it's holy and rusted. It's like, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the only thing missing really is the Bam Zap Pow cards. Um, but but here's the problem and, with it and, all. And a heart. Well, there's that. Yeah. So I'm here's just saying. Here's the you problem. Know, the sixties series had something there. Well, the sixties series also had a couple years and it was serialized. Like, this is a two hour movie. You can do more in a serial than you can do in a movie. You can, but they I'm did. still sticking yeah. with what I said. Okay, all right. So here's the problem, though. The movie right. and Batman himself are never self-aware enough that the tongue-in-cheek delivery work, and I think that's what you're kind of getting to, because the budget begs a much more grand scale. Okay. So because I, yeah. the 60s version was very self-aware – and it was a low budget thing. Okay. You don't have this need to tell this thing. So the yeah. the the doom the doom of Lucas. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Handing handing him too much money and mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So and, and nobody's saying no. Right. Which yeah. you know this is ironic because uh, there's a Batman credit card in this one. So. Yeah. You know, just like, wow. I had, I had, speaking of suppressed memories, I had managed <laughs> to bury that one. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, that movie was just such, oh. Now, oh. how long okay. was the 20th century? That's a trick question, right? No, no. A hundred years. Yes. And movies got started just a hair before that, right? Yes. Okay. This movie is listed as the number three worst film of the 20th century. <laughs> you want to know wait, what? Wait, yeah, wait, yeah. Go ahead. Back up. Sure. What's what are number two and number one? Okay. Wild Wild West. Okay. All right. I. 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 Okay. 
and Battlefield I, I have Earth. A, huh? Battlefield and Earth. What? Okay. I'm going to point out, I believe all of those are 90s productions, are they not? Yes, they are. <laughs> Speaking of Finn Seagull. <laughs> Battlefield Earth, I will totally say, belongs where it is. I feel like Wild Wild West was, as a matter of fact, a shitty movie. Yes. But I don't think it deserves a place that high on the list. I think it does because <laughs> the the screenwriter for it, it was either the screenwriter or the director, shopped around the idea of a giant walking spider thing to like three different types of films. He was going to make a fucking movie that had that thing in it, and he did. Like... Like there, there is somebody shooting a <laughs> shooting an arrow and painting a target. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yes. It's it's that's that's that some cinema really, lore right there. Yeah. That. I don't know whether that affects my opinion of the film or not, but that's really <laughs> sad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so so this who's whose list of the, of the worst films of the of the 20th century is this AFI who is this the, this I the, don't I don't recall I don't recall it was a critic okay. somewhere but you know but it, it was but, it, but so so but, <laughs> but but Batman and Robin managed to rank number three yes out of the entire the entire history, filmography basically the entire yes. history of cinema yes okay wait. Wait, uh-huh. where was Plan Nine from Outer Space on that list? Oh, it was probably I, in the so top I have a ten. Frame of reference. It was probably in the top ten, but yeah. Dear God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I have to believe that Ator Barbar Ator the Barbarian was somewhere on and Hawk the Slayer were both somewhere on that list. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. Like especially Hawk the Slayer. Ator was yeah. bad, but wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that it beat out Laser Blast, quite honestly, but okay. I don't know if you ever saw Laser Blast. I saw I, it. I did. Oh, I, my God. I, well, I, I kind of I watched it. it was, I, I saw it on, on TV some afternoon. As did I. It was, it was an edited version. Yeah. It was and, awful. Um, Laser Blast was a pretty crap movie, yep. but um, it, had a, it had a coherent, somewhat coherent plot that hung together. Okay, point taken. Like yeah. there was there was there was an awful lot about it that was just bad. Like the acting was awful, the mm-hmm. dialogue was shit. Yes. Um, it's for those of you handsome, who don't know, Laser Blast. Not, not too bad. Handsome, not too bad. Stop motion animation stuff. For those of you who don't know Laser Blast, which hopefully that's most of you, a dude finds a a gun thing in a desert and puts it on his arm, and then it possesses him and turns him into a monster. And he blasts yep. shit with his arm, and that's, and then aliens come, and that's uh, it's really and they all... kill him and take the laser away. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So. Yeah, he winds up winds up yeah uh, going in going onto a rampage in his small middle of the desert town. Yeah. So... And there's a romantic sub- subplot where a girl tries to because he has to have he has the gun and there's an amulet. Yeah. And like That's the amulet, right. I re- one of the things I remember very clearly is the amulet is like creating some kind of spot on his chest. That's like a yeah, it's like a like corrosive a skull, yeah, corrosive yeah. Kind of thing. And yep. the girl tries to take it. He's sleeping, and the girl tries to take it off, and he and he grabs her hand and stops her. Yes, and that kind of is the precipitating event for him, like going full monster. It's yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. it's a crummy, it's... crummy, crummy movie. 
but the plot actually hangs together. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And you it's know, got like Roddy McDowell it, in it. So, <laughs> well, okay. Rod, Roddy McDowell did an awful lot of stuff for the paycheck. Uh, he, clearly, mean, you know. Yeah. You I, I kind of hope that he went for the points on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he went for, but you yeah. Know. Money, dear boy, yeah. is a trope for a reason. Yeah. And you notice I didn't spend much time talking. Waiting, waiting for the check to clear. Yeah. Notice I didn't spend much time talking about characterization or anything really about the internal lives of any of the characters in this Batman movie. Because there isn't any. No, no it doesn't exist. It is, it is A leads to B. There is nothing. Yeah, it is so like, I mean, there's all kinds of cool production shit about Arnold and like he puts Jack Nicholson shit to shame in a lot of ways. Um, He got 25 million for it and he managed to make sure that he only showed up for 25 days of filming. Um, He ended up swallowing battery acid by accident because they were trying to figure out a way to make it glow. Um, There's just all kinds of wacky shit in there. But like, oh, yeah, none of it really mattered because this movie was as neon bad as it was. What it really did was it killed the franchise in such a bright and shiny way that it opened the door for the Nolan trilogy to come. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Okay. So, um, having having okay. done... Oh, yeah. What were you going to say? No, 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 oh. no. Go, go, go. So, having done that, uh, so far, what have you gleaned? Wow. Um... You know what? What what struck me in just the last second or two, which mm-hmm. which led to me, you know, saying something a, a second ago, uh, is we we started the cinematic journey with, I mean, the the the, the modern, you know, recent cinematic journey mm-hmm. with Burton, yes, and Keaton, and Burton and Keaton did everything in in what we now recognize as the Tim Burton aesthetic, which is the off-kilter, distorted, you know, kind of spooky goth mm-hmm. kind of kind of aesthetic, which they did for two movies. Mm-hmm. And then Schumacher took over and 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 took kind of where they had started and he said, well, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to up the brightness a little bit mm-hmm. or we're going to up the brightness a lot with Batman forever. And then they went and they upped the brightness even farther. And in the process of upping the brightness, they completely shot the contrast out the window. Yeah. It, metaphorically speaking, of course. Well, I don't think they were going for contrast though, were they? Well, well, no. This, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is is there? There was no. Let, let's up the brightness. Let's up the brightness even farther and turned it into clown shoes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I think what's interesting about it is visually speaking. If you look at all of these movies, mm-hmm. the the Schumacher movies, like I only remember a couple of scenes that take place in anything like daylight. Yeah, you're right. Everything, everything is in the dark, but it's in the dark and immensely brightly lit. Yes. Like, like the bat cave in Batman forever is, is, 
like it's a cave, but you can tell that like no no he's got halogen bulbs in the ceiling like it's brightly lit. Oh yeah, <clears throat> which you know is 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 an aesthetic choice that I think is really symbolic of of everything else that's involved in in the decision making and the choices that got made with these movies. Mm-hmm. It's like we're we're gonna we're gonna take what Burton and and Keaton did, which was create this really remarkably complex character with an arc, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna make things lighter and fluffier, and we're making a conscious choice to do that, and we're gonna try to be we're gonna go back to the '60s series yeah. and be campy, and in the process of doing that, we're gonna take all of the as you said, there is no characterization by mm-hmm. the time of of Batman and Robin. Yeah, we're gonna take all the all the characterization. We're gonna take all the character development. We're gonna take anything like an internal life and kind of fling that out the window. Mm-hmm. And it got turned and it got turned back into a CCA three color comic. Yes, it did. You know, uh, Silver Age. Yeah. Oh, hey. Uh, Superman, let me show you what we're going to look like in the future, you know, and this or, was... or Superman, Superman saying, let me show you what we're going to look like in the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bruce Wayne, whose parents haven't been murdered yet, by the way, Superman is a dick, you know, um, you and, know, turn... and I would point out that they did this at a time when the comics were going the other direction. Very, very pronouncedly. Yes. Yes. And so no one wanted this. <laughs> no one, <laughs> absolutely no one. Um, Schumacher, I'm gonna put nipples on the bat suit. Yeah. So like that, it's <laughs> like, it's so. Yeah. Whereas whereas when you started with the '89 Batman, it was a direct offshoot of the '85 comic that had come out. Um, you know, and so tonally it made sense as a continuation. I would also point out though that the arc of the Keaton Batman ended after the second one. Oh well, yeah. And so to continue the franchise <clears throat> in any way without reimagining it is a problem. To continue it so quickly without, uh, re- you know, to to reimagine it so quickly afterwards is a problem. Like at that point, it's they are just pulling the slot machine now, and yeah, well, and the comics at that time were heading wildly in the in you know they were continuing the tone that Keaton had, yeah. had, had gone with. So, yeah. Yeah. It did. Okay. So I know, I know you and I discussed this, but I don't remember if it came up in, in our last episode. Did mm-hmm. I, did I talk on, on being while being recorded about the fan theory about Batman forever and Batman and Robin? We touched on it. Yeah. Okay. So, so the idea is, cause you talk about having to, having to reinvent the, the franchise. Mm hmm. There is I, I actually give more and more weight to this as we talk about it. There's there's a fan theory that Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are the Batman movies in Gotham. Right. You know, that the yeah. Batman after after the second film, Batman has become this legend figure. And so movie makers are making superhero movies about him. And that's the reason that we see the bizarre, mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Dr. Dunog, uh, colors yeah. <laughs> and, and choices. I'm, I'm sticking with that, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I like <clears throat> it. I like it. I just wish you we know, codified that's, that's, it earlier. We can make merch yeah. off of this. 
oh yeah, Doctor yeah. Dunog. I yeah. like it. Um, and and so yeah, I I I think <laughs> I, I think I think there's there's there is meaning to be found in assigning that to those iterations of the story. Yeah, because you're now making it kind of that that play within the play motif. You're 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 doing the this is not real. This is a <clears throat> hyper unreal. Yeah, well, it. it's, yeah, <clears throat> you know, it's it's like uh, you know my friends and I from from high school, and many of my friends from college, and I insist that they only ever made one Highlander movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. obviously they they wouldn't go screwing it up by making some kind of sequel where it turns out they're all aliens or something because that'd just be <laughs> stupid, right? <laughs> Which you oh, know, boy. there's a whole there's a whole episode or three to be gotten out of that but i was anyway. gonna say yeah you uh <laughs> you take mr van peebles so, to task yeah so i mean that's that's my that's that's kind of my biggest okay. takeaway is is just it it is such a jarring change mm-hmm. that yeah okay yeah it, it yeah how about you uh like i said i think uh when you had the first two end with such a tidy arc there was nowhere to go and so instead of waiting a few years and then rebooting it and paying attention to the zeitgeist, um, <laughs> they didn't, and it was to their peril. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah, and it wound up killing the franchise for... It, for actually only eight wow. years. That's, that's Really? Yeah, the difference in time between uh, first Keaton Batman and final Schumacher Batman is the same difference in time between Final Schumacher Batman and First Nolan Batman. All right. Well, I, I know what, what I'm going to start talking about, my mind being blown by yeah. on <laughs> the next episode. So, so. okay, with, with that, uh, what do you got going on? Um, that you want to you want to talk about? Oh uh, yeah. What are you reading? What are you interested in? What do you got? What's what's happening? Uh, let's see. Um. As far as what I'm reading, I actually picked up a module for something called the Raven's Call. Um, I my daughter has me uh, working on getting our neighbors to play a uh, Dungeons and Dragons game with us. Um, we're gonna find some social distancely appropriate way to do that. So I'm reading. Okay. Through, I'm reading through that. I'm also uh, reading rereading some old comics, including one called The Nice Guy. Um, which uh, was a creation of Michael O'Connell and Tim Watts, friend of the show Tim Watts, who did our V for okay. Vendetta episodes. And I'm reading something called uh, The Heart, uh, what's it called? A Rat Queens. Uh, and it's a, it's a D&D comic uh, graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah, so, yeah. Kind of just uh, fingers in several pies. Uh, what about you? What are you reading? Phrasing. Um <laughs> I'm I'm of late. I've been doing an awful lot of reading of student work, which uh, any of any any teachers in our audience uh, will will immediately be sympathetic to. Yes. Uh, but um, I also um, have been rereading uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Oh. Uh, because I'm I'm reading that aloud at intervals to my uh, remedial reading class. Nice. Uh, to help them with you know listening to read material as part mm-hmm. of helping them with their fluency. 
And, you know, what, what is interesting about that is rereading it after a number of years away, mm-hmm. the amount of kind of self-referential humor in Tolkien's writing about Bag End mm-hmm. and about Hobbiton is really, I'm getting an awful lot of enjoyment out of it uh, on, on a, on a, now, now that I'm a middle-aged dude you know, married with a kid, there, there, there is a lot of domestic kind of humor mm-hmm. that, that I'm finding in the opening of, of the book. And that's, that's kind of nice. Okay. So that's, cool. that's what I've got going on right now. Well, so where can so people, now, oh yeah, go on. You be, No, you beat me to it. Yeah. You, well, you take the right of way. Where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, if they are looking for me on the social medias, you can find me on Twitter at EH Blaylock. You can find me on TikTok at uh, the same address. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Mr. Blaylock. And uh, if you want to try to find both of us to yell at us collectively about something we've gotten wrong, uh, whether a fact or just an opinion that, like, no, no, we're wrong on. Uh, you can find us at uh, Geek History Time on the Twitter. And now, if they want to find you, other than in these streets, sir, where can <laughs> they find you? Uh, well, actually, we're in the purple, so uh, you can't find me in these streets. Um, Damn you. <laughs> having, uh, having a cunning answer available like yeah, that. Yeah, sorry. All right. Uh, no, you can find me at Duh Harmony on the Twinsta. Um, so, uh, you can find me there. Uh, you can also go find this podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple podcasts, rate, subscribe, review. We would love it if you gave us a five star cause you know, we earned it. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we are currently at 656 listeners internationally from India to England, uh, and all points in between. And that's pretty cool, but we'd like to get to a thousand. So, We're hitting the Commonwealth pretty hard. Yeah, ooh, or the former colonies, at least. Um, but uh, also in Italy, it's actually. Commonwealth. Okay, I, I don't think the anyway. Indian, I don't think people of India would agree. Um, but yeah, okay, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. But, right. but never mind. Yes, from India Sorry. to Italy. How about that? Uh, okay. Yeah, in all points in between, uh, and north and south of that. So that's pretty cool. Um, you definitely, uh, should rate, subscribe and review, um, and give us that five star. So yes, please. Yeah. Also I'm on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns every Tuesday night at 8 30 PM Pacific standard time. Come check us out. So for a geek history of time, I'm Damian Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock and tune in with us. Same bat time, same bat channel. My God, are we really going to do more episodes of this shit?